Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one of you. I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. I've been reading through the book of Romans and, and spending a good bit of time uh, meditating on it. And as you may have noticed, I'm bringing several messages from that book. And today I want to focus on, on chapter 5 and not, not going through the book in, in any kind of order or anything, but just saw a, a um, interesting topic here that, that stood out to, to me as I thought about it. And I'm talking about the two most important men, or maybe I should say the most influential men in Scripture. If we look in, in Romans chapter 5, this is where Paul makes a comparison between Adam and Christ, as well as some contrasts in Adam and Christ. I think this is important for us to understand because as we look at Adam, we realize why we are who we are. And as we look at Christ, we realize who we can be. We choose to follow him. I enjoy reading Romans, and, and I like the way Paul um, writes this, this book, though, though it's, I find it difficult to understand, and it requires a lot of um, deep thinking or careful thinking to really try and understand what he's all saying here. He is, in, particularly in the first eight chapters about, of, of Romans, he's, Paul is striving to show the reader that, that men are sinners, we are, we are sinners and that we're lost and we're under the, the power of death. But God has given us salvation by faith. And there's no human work that can relieve us of the condemnation that sin brings. And he presents this in, in a sort of an argument. It's almost like he's a lawyer in court presenting his case. He also frequently ask these hypothetical questions. If you look in, um, I think it starts in maybe in chapter 3, where he starts asking these questions and then presenting his answer. The, so some of the questions are, are um, well, let's just go back and, and look in chapter 4. So chapter 5 is what I'm focusing on, and, and in this particular chapter, he doesn't actually a- ask any question, but he's giving an answer to a previous question. So let's go back in, in chapter 4 and see what that question was. And I think, I'm not going to read through this, but, but basically the question would boil down to, was Abraham saved by faith or by works? If you look in, in the first verse there of chapter 4, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Presented there as a question. And, and he, he studies the life of Abraham and, and what he did and, and asks the question, was it faith that saved him or was it his works? Um, he asks, uh, I think, some more questions, basically asking the same thing in verse 10. How then was it accounted? Was, how was this faith or this righteousness accounted to him? Was it why he was circumcised or was it why he was uncircumcised? 
And he just goes on to present the case here that Abraham was indeed saved by faith. It was not his works. And therefore, salvation is available to all those who will believe by faith. Now we come to chapter 5, and I'm going to just read these 21 verses here, and then go back and look at Adam as a type of Christ, the likenesses we see, as well as where um, the differences are in Adam and Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment, judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Adam as a type of Christ is what he's referring to there. Let's look at the likenesses between these two influential men. Through the one man, he says, sin entered into the world in verse 12. And even so, through one man, the free gift came in verse 18. So both the condemnation, the sin that has affected this entire world, both that that came by one man's sin, and in the same way, one man's free gift, one man's righteousness also affects the entire world. The choices of both of these men 
affected all others. Now you might say, okay, but I didn't sin. Why, why, am I, why am I blamed for Adam's sin? Why am I born a sinner just because Adam made that choice to disobey God? Why am I condemned because of what Adam did? And you could even perhaps be bold enough to argue that you wouldn't have made that choice that Adam did. But sin brought a curse on all the earth and on all of the earth's offspring or what came out of it. It spread to all men. I think it says that, it uses that word, um, I didn't write down which verse it was, but somewhere it uses that, that term that sin spread to all men. So even if you want to argue that you wouldn't have done what Adam did, sin has affected you. It has affected the entire world. God brought a curse upon the world because of sin, because of Adam's sin. Think about it too, that a baby never has to be taught to sin. They learn that. It's part of who they are. They never have to be taught to sin. And also, if we're honest by our lives, we show that we are the descendants of Abraham. If we're honest with ourselves, we have sinned. We didn't have that exact same choice that Adam did. He, as a perfect man in a perfect environment, um, being instructed um, seemingly only one thing that he was not allowed to have or not allowed to do, and, but he chose to do that chose disobedience, but we also, by our lives, by the, our disobedience, show that we are the descendants of Adam. So just as that sin has affected everyone, so also Christ affects everyone. So how did Christ, who came to the earth at a later time, affect those who were before him? We know that, that okay, now after the cross, after Christ after his time living on this earth and the sacrifice that he made for us, we understand how that we, we look back on that, we accept that salvation. But what about those that came before Christ? Were they also affected by Christ? I would say indeed they were. Abraham had faith and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He had faith that God would make a way. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Another man, long before the time when Christ came, who found grace and who believed in God, and it was his salvation. Um, so regardless of what time a person may have been born into, their life is affected by Christ. Faith in what he was going to accomplish or faith in what he has accomplished. And in 1 Peter 3.19 it tells us something interesting there in thinking about Noah being a righteous man. Uh, it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering awaited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. And I, I'm not going to really dig into what exactly that's saying. I, I'm not sure that I understand exactly. But it seems to indicate um, Christ's effect upon men at that 
point of that time in Noah, whether that was referring to Noah preaching to them, whether that was, I know some people would say it was Christ after his death going back and preaching to them. However you want may interpret that, um, Christ was preached to them. They too were affected by Christ. So whether Adam or Christ, both men have had an influence upon the entire world. And we identify with either one man or the other. And this is really where I want us to, what I want us to think about this morning um, as we look at this passage and ask the question, well, what, what's this really saying to me? Uh, how is this practical? I think it's a chapter that's easy to kind of gloss over. Um, yeah, there's this, this type, Adam, this type of Christ. But does it have a profound impact on our lives? I think it does because we identify with either one man or the other. We are not autonomous. We're, we are always under the control of someone. And the scripture different times refers to us as slaves. In fact, uh, it's just a chapter or two later here in, in Romans where, where Paul really digs into that using that picture of, of a slave and how that we are slaves, we were slaves to sin, now we're slaves to Christ. That's in, in chapter 6. We are not autonomous. We don't operate on our own. We're always under the control of someone. And I think it is misleading that there's teaching prevalent today that we can be who we want to be. We can be our own person. And, and in that way... Um, misleading us as to what our real identity is. We identify with either Adam or Christ. We're either, either affected by the sin of Adam or affected by the righteousness that Christ has brought. So the likenesses really, really end there. We see that the one man brought this into the world. But that's kind of, I think, where the likenesses end. And Paul goes on then to, to show the contrast in these two men. We look in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. And that's where he begins to show us the contrast in how what Christ brought, Christ's effect on the world is not like Adam's. It's very different from Adam's. And there's several words or phrases that he uses here. The one is the free gift compared to the offense. Both were conscious choices that these men made. Adam chose to do what was wrong. In fact, somewhere in the scripture it indicates that perhaps Eve was deceived, but Adam made a conscious choice. And, and I think there, there might be something to that. We know that the serpent deceived Eve, and, and it seems like maybe Adam bore some more responsibility in that. After all, he was the one who God gave the instructions to, gave the law to, that you're not to eat of this tree. And he consciously made the choice to disobey that. Christ also made a conscious choice to bring us a free gift, to sacrifice himself on the cross. Again, it was not the soldiers who took his life, but it was Christ giving of himself. He had the power to deliver himself from that. But he gave himself. It was a choice he made. So we have a free gift and we have the offense. Both conscious choices. We have condemnation and justification. 
Both choices resulted in something, either condemnation or justification. Condemnation is the resulting punishment because of an offense. Someone is taken to court and they have determined that they have committed a crime. They are condemned to prison. It's the punishment of the offense. Justification is acquittal despite, and notice he says here, many offenses in verse uh, is it 16. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. There we see an important difference. There was one offense that resulted in condemnation, but Christ Jesus, despite the many offenses, the many offenses that we have committed, justified us, set us free. Then you have this reign of death versus the reign of life that he mentions numerous times here. I think it's four times in this chapter, if I counted correctly, he refers to the reign of death. Reign is a dominating control, a, a rule or a realm of influence. And because of Adam, because of his offense, death reigned on the earth. It says in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. From that time, from Adam on, there was this this reign of death. And and it seems like perhaps in in God's plan there for his people, um, he brought in the law as as a sort of a a check on that that realm or that reign of, of death that just ruled in that time. It's hard, I think, for us to imagine what it was actually like in that time period of Adam to Moses um, to live in that time when, when it seems like maybe death reigned in a way that even it doesn't today because we have the life, we have the influence of Christ, we have the life of Christ, and though, though death certainly reigns in many ways in the world today and, and will continue to until we reach eternity, um, the time from Adam to Moses to when the law was given, when there was less of a, a check on that reign of, of death. And, and we know that, that God did bring some events in there. Um, the flood, especially, I'm thinking of uh, perhaps the, the Tower of, of Babel may have been another one where, where this sin and death was kind of set back. When things were getting so bad that God decided he needed to do something. But we have this reign of death. And then we have the reign of life, of life eternal. And I like that, that illustration that Brandon used here this morning of how, how quickly our life disappears. But he was referring to our life here on this earth. And, but, but here he's talking about a reign of life that goes way beyond that. And, and that is why we should seriously consider that, that tiny little flash that, that our life here on earth is. Because there is a reign of life that is eternal. There's no greater contrast than life and death. We, we see the, the joy and the, the, um, yeah, the joy that it brings when a new baby is born, when life comes into the earth, versus the sadness of someone departing this earth. There's no greater contrast than life and death. And right here we have one man bringing the reign of death, another the reign of life. And then there's the disobedience or the sinner's and the obedience 
or righteousness. That's another contrast that he brings out in these several verses here. One man disobeyed, the other man was perfect obedience. So what then is the practical implication of this? As we look at this chapter and we see these contrasts and these likenesses and this picture of of Adam and Christ, I'd like for us to, to just, I'd like to just draw your attention to what does this really mean for us and why is this important? How can it change our lives when we realize um, who we identify with? Several things I've, I'd like to point out here um, that I think are, are very practical for us and, and important for us to, to consider one is that, that we are, if we are born sinners, as it says here, then we are truly helpless. We are helpless. We cannot help ourselves. We're born into this. We don't have to be taught how to sin. And it's not a matter of how badly I sinned or how much I sinned. We are born into that reign of death, that condemnation. We tend to want to justify ourselves by how serious our sin was, or how little, or how, how, even how big our sin is. Sometimes the struggle of, of feeling like we can't be forgiven because of the, the seriousness of our sin. But we're born sinners, and we are completely helpless, cannot help ourselves. And there is no human who can save us, because Adam is our Father, so there's no human who can save us except Christ, the divine who came in human form as a sinless man. We're born sinners, therefore we're under the condemnation and the reign of death, and no human being can conquer death. It was only Christ who was able to do that. And even though we're referring to him here as a man, we understand that he is divine at the same time. He did indeed conquer death. Secondly, our only hope is in a new identity because, as he brings out here, we're all descendants of Adam. We're born into sin. So really, our only hope then is a new identity. We were born identified with Adam but we can be born again into identity with Jesus Christ. In John 3, verse 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I'd also like to refer to some verses in Galatians. I'm going to turn there, Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 7. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I really like these verses. It really says a lot about where our identity is. Like I just said, we're born identified with Adam, but Christ, but God, sent forth his son. Brought him to this world as a human being to redeem us. 
so that we can be adopted as sons. And there we see that new identity that Christ brings us. We're adopted into a different family. That's, that's easy for us to understand because we know that every human being is born to a set of parents and some are adopted into a new family. That's what Christ does for us. He adopts us into his family. He gives us that new identity. And then also, because we are his sons, it says we're no longer a slave. And despite what, what Paul says back there in Romans 6 about us being slaves, it's important for us to remember that, that our proper response to God in, in what he has done for us is to be his slave. But he views us as not his slaves, but his sons. Because we are his sons, his children, part of his family, he gives us his inheritance as well. So our only hope is a new identity. And God has made that possible for us by being born again. We also see in Romans chapter 5 that we can have peace with God. In verse 1, as Paul begins his defense here in this chapter, his, his explanation of why salvation is only by faith, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God. This has a profound impact on our lives because of our new identity with him. We are at peace with him. Now, this does not mean that all is peace. This does not mean that our lives are always peaceful. We are still at war, but we're no longer at war with God when our identity changes. We're no longer at war with God. This is why Jesus could say, you know, we, he was referred to as the Prince of Peace, but then he also said, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. That's why the Prince of Peace could say, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword. It's because we have peace with God but we're still at war with the old man. If we do indeed receive this free gift that he refers to here in Romans chapter 5, he says it's a free gift. If we do indeed receive this gift, we will have an appreciation and a love for the giver. And this too has a profound impact on our lives. In verse 18, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life. Now we realize that not all people are saved, that there is a hell, and the Bible tells us that not all will be saved. But here he says, through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men. It's clear here that this gift is presented to all men, but it's not received, not necessarily received by all. It's important to understand this as a free gift, and, and, and Paul emphasizes that in here. He, he mentioned, uses those words several times, the free gift. It's presented to all men, but it's not received by all. We need to receive that gift. And if we do, then we will have an appreciation and a love for the giver. Use earthly gifts, the things that we get and what we give each other. Here as an example. Uh, we have things in our house that were given to us as wedding gifts. 
Uh, some of them, I don't even realize they were a wedding gift. I don't, I don't realize any more than anybody gave that to us. Sorry if that was you. But, and some, there's a few things that I do remember, maybe because of what it is and the significance it has or because of the person who gave it. Um, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, whatever it may be that we give each other. We do tend to fairly easily forget what they are, where they came from, who gave them. Uh, but what, what determines the, the value that we place on those gifts? Or what determines whether we even remember the person who gave it? Or what determines if we even remember that it was a gift? I think some of those things I forget about because I can so easily go and buy them myself. Um, and we forget that they're even gifts. But this gift that Paul is talking about is a gift that we cannot buy. We cannot buy it. If we think that we can buy it, then it loses its value to us. If we see it as a gift that only one man can give us, Christ, that places value, a greater value on that gift. This gift is eternal, and it could not have been given to us by any other person. No one else can or will conquer the power of death. Only Christ. This gift is eternal. So what I really want you to understand is that the more value that we place on this gift that God has given us, that we can receive, the, the more we're going to love and appreciate the one who gave it. The more we love and appreciate, the more we get to know the giver of that gift, the more our lives will reflect him, the more our lives will be like him. When others look at your life, whose identity do they see? I think this is really the challenging question in this chapter that comes to us. When others look at your life, whose identity do they see? Adam's or Christ's? What they see probably reveals what is of most value to us. And I would like for us to, to just consider this and, and my plea is that we would think about what Christ has done and that we would value what he has done and that we would be disgusted by what sin is, by what sin is, by sin. We would be disgusted by it and also disgusted at self-righteousness because self-righteousness is an attempt to do for ourselves what only the man Christ can do. And that instead we would be attracted to Christ. We would be drawn to him more and more. This is Paul's plea, his argument that he's putting forth here in not only this chapter, but especially the first eight chapters of Romans here. That salvation is by faith. It is a gift that has been given to us. It is available to all if we receive it. And this is of greater value than any other gift. Again, the, the more we think about that, ponder that, or, and realize that the, the size of that gift, the, the, the um, value of that gift that has been given to us, the more it will impact our lives and change us. And then people will see that our identity is in Christ and not in Adam. Let's kneel for prayer.
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the written word that we have before us today, that we can open it, we can study it, and do that so freely here in our church, in our country, realizing there's many places around the world where they cannot gather like this because of fear of others who would come in. We thank you that you reveal your plan of salvation to us through your written word. And we want to know more and more of, of what this means and the impact, um, we want this to impact our lives in a in more and more, in a greater way. Help us to appreciate this gift that you have given to us, to hold it in front of us, to receive it and, and to value it. I pray that our relationship with you would grow as a result of this and that we will become more and more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.